0: TR and I love coming here, seventh year in a row. We met at the Cove in North Carolina, where I've been 14 times. Oh, this year will be the 14th. And um, God has been good to me and my old age. Uh, you know, I'm your senior, Charles. Just start showing a little respect. Because uh, <laughs> you're going to get to be where I am one day. Love coming here. But you know... I have to come clean. The real reason I come, this is kind of my Salvation Army place to get clothes. (laughs) Do you like this jacket? John. If you've seen me, uh, watch my Twitter, uh, you see that I wear a black leather jacket all over the world. John. (laughs) So, this year, what is your shoe size? <laughs> it's Timely that I could be here right on the Sunday after your 30th anniversary of Charles' wonderful church. And I feel honored, very honored to, to be back here. And uh, I know what uh, Charles and daughter have been through. I pray for them every day, and, uh, but I'm one of thousands. And we thank God that how God has blessed them. They kindly let me bring some books since I was here last. I've written a book called Word and Spirit. Uh, by the way, that's, I'm on, now I'm going to get some respect. Did you know I'm a TV star? I don't think you knew that, did you? In London, all over the United Kingdom, Africa, I have a TV and UK and it's called Word and Spirit. And it came out with a book uh, just several months ago. Uh, in fact, Charles said just the foreword by, Charles, by Mark Driscoll uh, got his attention. Here's the idea, it's my view that there has been a silent divorce in the church, speaking generally between the Word and the Spirit. Now when there's a divorce, sometimes the children stay with the mother, sometimes the children stay with the father. In this divorce, you've got those on the word side that emphasize doctrine, theology, being sound, and we need that. But you have those on the spirit side that emphasize the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, got into Peter's shadow, you're healed, light to the Holy Spirit, you're struck dead, and we need that kind of power. And the two together, I believe, will mean the next great move of God, and that's what this book is about, and that's what Charles and John want to see happen here in this church. And um, so, by the way, this is supposed to s- cost $17, but for you, 10 we, we We get rid of them here $10, and then this week, literally, I f- saw this for the first time this morning. It came out last week, uh, and you're the, this is the first church where we brought it. It's called For an Audience of One. For example, Billy Graham preached to millions, but it was for an audience of one. And this book is not so much about preaching as how you live your life for an audience of one, no matter who else is watching. It's based upon my life verse, John 5, 44. How can you believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? and for those who just want his honor. And uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress, First Baptist Dallas, kindly wrote the forward to this book. And uh, by the way, you may recall, I have a, I've done something very special for you. I don't know why I'm so good to you. but Here's what you can do. You try it, you'll find out. You take any one of my books, and at the end of the service, I'll, I'll sign them. Uh, And what you do, you go up to any Starbucks window. Yes, take this book, or any of them, and show them my signature. And then give them $3.95, and they'll give you a cappuccino. (laughs) It's good for ever. (laughs) I want to read three passages of Scripture, if I may. Job 42, verse 2, Now I know that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's what Job learned after all his ordeal. And then we read in Romans, chapter 5, where Paul said in chapter 5, verse 3, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And then from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, the most unusual verse you can imagine. There's no other verse like it in the Bible. It's only here, where Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking— in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle to pass on all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. And I pray that this will be a life-changing word because I think somebody really needs this, whoever it is. I pray that that person will leave here changed, and that this word brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you received a letter from a prisoner that you had never met, And he wants to tell you how to live your life. Would you listen to him? Well, that's what we have in Colossians. Paul is a prisoner. He's never met these Colossians. He's moving in to be their apostle. And yet, the church was founded by a man by the name of Epaphras. You see, Colossians is unique. It's the only book of Paul where he never met the people. He founded a church at Corinth. And we have one Corinthians, two Corinthians. We founded a church in Ephesus. We've got Ephesians. He founded a church in Galatia. We've got Galatians. He founded a church in Thessalonica. We've got Thessalonians. But he's never been to Colossae. And the irony is it's the most profound book In the New Testament. And he says things never said in in any other book. And this verse is totally unusual. And it's hard to understand. And it takes a lot of praying and thinking to grasp whatever Paul is saying. So, what he does does is to say he has accepted his sufferings for them, for their sake. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, Paul was told early on he would suffer. How would you like it that on the day of your conversion, uh, you're told, oh, by the way, uh, I need to tell you, you're going to suffer a big time. Because Ananias got a word about Paul, and he says, I want him to know what he must suffer for my sake. And I want to talk to you about suffering. And uh, this is a challenge for somebody here. I said in the first service, there is no doubt there's somebody here. It may have been in the first service, but I suspect it could be in this service. You are right now in the middle of the greatest trial of your life. Somebody may be in the choir. But there's somebody here. You're right now in the greatest trial you've ever had. Now, I may never meet you. And by the way, if you're not in that trial, do listen, because you may need it down the road. I got the idea of this sermon from a man by the name of Joseph Tzone. Now, the first time I ever preached here, it was on total forgiveness. And a man by the name of Joseph Tzone, in my darkest hour, when Louise and I were in London, 25 years at Westminster Chapel, and the worst moment we'd ever, ever had gone through. And I was bitter and angry, and Joseph Tzone, from Romania, said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. And he changed my life. Well, that same Joseph Zone preached for me at Westminster Chapel. And he took his text from Job and referred to this verse, and he called it Mysterious Reasons for Suffering. And I hope to make clear uh, what this passage makes clear. And I want to talk to you about predestination and suffering. Now, don't be afraid of the word predestination. If it weren't for that, you wouldn't be here. In fact, when Luke writes the book of Acts and refers to the Gentiles who got in, he actually says, as many as were ordained... For eternal life believed. That was the heart of Luke's teaching. Well, now, Paul says something very interesting. He says, your suffering is predestined. As a matter of fact, read, read 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 3. He says, don't be unmoved by these trials. You know you were destined for them. (laughs) And to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 30, he says... It is given to us not only to believe on Christ, but to suffer for his sake. They might have said, well, why didn't you tell us before we get saved? Well, Paul might say, we can't think of everything. But if you want to get out of it, sure. And so he makes an interesting point, And then in James 1-2, James, the half-brother of Jesus, his opening comment, count it pure joy when you fall into all kinds of trials. And it's very interesting. The word count is the same exact word Paul uses in Romans 4 when he says your faith counts for righteousness. And so James said, if you're in a trial... Now, don't go out looking for a trial, but if you fall into it and it just happened, count it pure joy. Now, you may not feel joy, but he says count it pure joy because it's only a matter of time. If you dignify that trial, you will thank God for it. As a matter of fact, the trial Louise and I went through, you could not have convinced me then, I'm ashamed to say, that the day would come that I would say that was the best thing that ever happened to us. But it was, you can put me under a lie detector. Best thing that ever happened to Louise and me was the greatest trial we ever had. And so Paul talks about the purpose of suffering. And he makes this strange comment. He says, first of all, we're all in it together. We're part of the body. And if you don't find someone to suffer with you, uh, read the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. He says, I, John, am your brother in tribulation. He knows what you're going through. Now, I want you to consider trials at various levels. We've all got trials. But I picture before you a pyramid. A pyramid. And then at the bottom, we could say disappointment. Then the next level, uh, A friend lets you down. Uh, Next level, uh, financial reverse. Higher level, physical suffering, because there's various levels of suffering. But at the very top of the pyramid is suffering for the gospel. And that's the one that it's the real honor to have that. But not to worry. Any kind of suffering that you're through, you're put through, Count it pure joy. And Paul would say, this is part of what you're destined for. And so he says, filling up what is lacking. Now, why would God put us through suffering? Well, such suffering is called Christ's afflictions. Yes, uh, that is pain in his body. God is looking for people who will suffer and not complain. By the way, I can announce there is space available. Most people complain, and God just goes to somebody else. So Paul is not complaining. He says, I rejoice. But then there's another reason, a mysterious reason, that you could not have known at the time. Take the suffering of Job and the long ordeal he went through. Uh, have you ever thought about it? Who started it? Well, a lot of people hastily say, well, the devil. Wrong. Do you know what? God started it. God summoned Satan and said, have you considered my servant Job? Job. And from this, we can learn that every trial that we're put through, God started it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some months ago, I think God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Charles? Have you considered my servant Dottie? And he called your name if you're in suffering. You say, RT, I'm not up to it. Yes, you are, or God would not have chosen you. You see, that's the point. I want to talk about the privilege of suffering. You don't see it that way at the time, but you you see, there's a third reason, and we got it from Job, develops character. It makes you into a person that you need to be, and we're not ever going to volunteer for it, but if if you're selected and you dignify the trial, you become a choice and the angels are watching because here is what is going on. Satan said to God, the reason Job is a good man is because you've given him everything. Why wouldn't he be? So Job says to God, Take away what he's got, and he'll curse you to your face. And so the angels were watching, and that's what you need to know. You're in a trial, the angels are watching. And the angels wanted to see what would happen to a man who had everything and lost it. The devil said, Job will curse you to your face. And so God said, okay, you can have him, but you can only go so far. And it turns out that in the sin, or rather in the suffering, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. His wife said, you should curse God and die. Job said, you talk like a foolish woman. And so the angels could see what would happen to a man who lost it all and didn't lose his faith. One of the reasons of suffering, you're on display. The angels want to see what you will be like. Now, there are those people, we all know about them, health and wealth gospel people. They say that you shouldn't suffer. As a matter of fact, a man actually said, and if I gave you his name, you'd know who it was actually said this, referring to Paul's thorn in the flesh. For God sent to Paul a thorn in the flesh. The word thorn comes from a Greek word. It's it's like if you've been fishing and you get a fish hook caught in you and it kills you. It's awful pain. You can't pull it out or it'll hurt more. And you just leave it there. And Paul said he was given a thorn in the flesh and he needed it for his own character. He says, to keep me from being conceited. If Paul needed it, so do we. But there was a man who actually said, if the apostle Paul had had my faith, he wouldn't have had a thorn in the flesh. That make you angry. The truth is, suffering is given to God's choice people. And so, Paul taking his suffering with both hands. By the way, let me ask you a question. Why do you think a person should become a Christian? Ever thought about it? Do you think everybody should be Christians? Your neighbor? Your loved ones? Why? why? What would you say? People say, why should you become a Christian? Well, uh, some would say uh, it'll help your marriage really? Statistics show 50% of those married in a church end up in divorce. 50% of those married by the justice of the peace end up in divorce. You can't say Christianity is going to solve your marriage. Oh, another person says, here's why you should become a Christian. It will make you happy. Really? The first person Converted under my ministry at Westminster Chapel in London was a Los Angeles Jew by the name of Jay Michaels. He was flying from Los Angeles to Moscow. He had an office in London, and his secretary invited him to come to Westminster Chapel and hear me preach. He was converted that night. I didn't know it for months. Then I eventually met him, and Jay and I became very good friends. took him fishing, bone fishing in the Florida Keys. He took me deep-sea, we were great friends. And then in a Key Largo restaurant one day, he said to me, listen to this, before I became a Christian, I was a happy man. Hmm. That's a good advertisement. He wasn't complaining, he was just making a point. His wife wouldn't convert, she's Jewish. His son, Al Michaels, sports commentator, he wouldn't convert. Jay was so lonely. (laughs) What what about a person giving their testimony just before the evangelist speaks? Or let's put it this way. Let's invite Paul, uh, Paul the Apostle to give his testimony just before somebody's going to preach an evangelistic sermon. We say, Paul, uh, tell us what Christianity has done for you. He says, well, okay, and and I'm going to read his own words. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is Paul. He said, uh, uh, countless beatings. Someone says, oh, boy, where do I sign up? I want to be a Christian right quickly. Oh, there's more. He said, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Oh, someone says, oh, where do I sign up? I want to be baptized. I can't wait. (laughs) He says, in danger in the wilderness, danger from false brothers, hardship without food, sleepless nights. Surely not Paul. He's so close to God. If he can't sleep, he would just say, Lord, help me to sleep. Even Paul, sleepless nights. Why should you become a Christian? You're going to find that there will be trials down the road. Uh, Let me answer that question, by the way. Don't ever forget this. The reason you become a Christian is so you will go to heaven and not to hell when you die. That's what it's about. Seems like people have forgotten that. The Bible in a nutshell, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That means go to hell, but have everlasting life. And so, suffering. It's God's way of getting our attention. That was the purpose for Paul's thorn in the flesh. And if you're in a trial, it's not by accident. But I can tell you this, If you're chosen, the greater your anointing and gifting, the greater the suffering. Would you like a greater anointing of the Spirit? Are you sure? You see, it's part of the package if you want to be a sovereign vessel of God. You see, Paul is therefore not complaining, just the opposite. He knows it's a privilege what a privilege are you one of those who says why me why do i have to go through this my answer is why not you do you realize that one day you're going to stand before god listen to this 2 corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body, whether they're good or bad. Now, the judgment. I'm not sure how it will happen, but it's going to be very real. I don't know how God will do it, but not to worry. He's got it in hand. And the day will come, you'll be there, I will be there. And we're waiting and it'll be a moment with great anxiety, because this is going to be the most trying day of your whole life. You're standing before God. And you say to yourself, I wonder who's going to be called first. Oh, I know who will be called first. It'll be Moses. Oh, no, say, no it'll be Abraham. No, I'll tell you who will be called first. Billy Graham. I have a theory. <laughs> Think about it. My theory is, the lower the profile here below, the higher at the judgment seat of Christ. And so we're waiting. I wonder who will be called first. And we hear the name. Yvette Cutter. Yvette Cutter. Yvette Cutter. You know what Yvette Cutter is? Is there anybody know Yvette Cutter? This little lady came, oh, that's my name. Oh, you're Yvette Cutter. He's calling for you. Go, go. And so she goes up and she stands before Jesus. He Says, you called me? He looks at her and says, Yvette, I saw you when you were at Gordon Hospital in London. We know about your husband, how he treated you how you dignified the trial. We know about your bipolar mental illness. We saw you just praising the Lord. You didn't think we noticed. Oh, yes. Well done, sister. The reason I tell that is that one day our verger at Westminster Chapel said, I've just been to uh, visit Yvette I said, how is she doing? Well, she was sitting on the edge of her bed, sobbing, crying. And I said, how are you doing, Yvette? She said, I'm just sitting here praising the Lord because Dr. Kendall said, when we suffer, we should just praise the Lord. You see, God notices. Whether we will dignify a trial because one day it will be worth it all. Do you remember how Simon Peter denied knowing Jesus? Can you believe he did that? After being three years following Jesus, and one day he denies knowing him? And then he got found out, rooster crowed, and Jesus looked at him, he looked at Jesus, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was so ashamed. And he said, would to God I have another chance to show I wouldn't let the Lord down. And I wonder if there's anyone here. You have in the past let the Lord down big time. And you've wondered if you could show if he, got, if he gave you a second chance that you would praise him. Well, <laughs> Peter got a second chance. You read it in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, where Peter and John were called before the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling council of the Jews. And they were scolding Peter and John, said, stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And then they beat them. And (laughs) these Sadducees, they're having a conversation as Peter and John leave, well we won't need to worry about them anymore what they couldn't have known Peter and John couldn't believe their luck Acts 5:41. read it I can hardly read it sometimes without coming to tears it says as they departed from the council they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name They couldn't believe their luck. Look what God's done for us. I wanted a second chance. And maybe you are looking for another chance to show you won't let God down this time. If God lets any kind of suffering come your way, take it with both hands to think, I've been chosen. I don't deserve this. Because one day you'll thank God for it. My own mother, she's from Springfield, Illinois, she's now in heaven. She, as a teenager, sat at the feet of a 90-year-old saint of God who would just reminisce and talk to the teenagers. And one day, this 90-year-old saint (laughs) said this. I've been a Christian and serving the Lord for so long now that I can hardly tell the difference between a blessing and a trial. Have you ever heard of Henry Morrison? He was a Baptist missionary 100 years ago in Africa. Henry Morrison and his wife, 40 years in Africa, decided that they would retire. And so they sent a word to two or three of their friends to say to them that um, we'll be coming into New York Harbor on a certain date and looking forward to seeing you. And so the day came, they're on a ship and as the boat comes in, they can hear a band playing and they look at each other and they say, oh, they shouldn't have done that for us. They were making a big fuss over us, but they were so excited, they were so thrilled. They were gonna be first off the ship. They had their suitcases all ready, and as they started down the gangplank, as it was in those days, a policeman stopped and said, don't move any further, sir, Don't, don't go, stop. Oh, well, they put their bags down. It turns out that President Theodore Roosevelt was on the same ship he had been game hunting in Africa for three weeks the band was for the president Henry Morris and his wife turns out they were last off the ship they go down the gangplank they put their suitcases down and they look Not a soul came to meet them. They make their way over a couple blocks in a third-rate hotel in New York City. He falls on the bed. He's weeping. He says, God, I served you for 40 years in Africa, and I come home, and there's nobody here. President Roosevelt, he game hunts for three weeks. And he comes home, and a bad plays for him. But then he heard the Lord speak clearly, but you're not home yet. Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of the present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall follow. Yes, it will be worth it all. WHEN WE SEE JESUS, LIFE'S TRIALS WILL SEEM SO SMALL WHEN WE SEE HIM. MAY WE PRAY. HEAVENLY FATHER, I ASK YOU NOW TO TAKE THIS WORD, APPLY THIS WORD BY YOUR HOLY SPIRIT.